Hey everybody, welcome to Valley Church online or on campus. We're so glad that you're joining us. Merry Christmas. Uh, we're getting really close to Christmas. Actually, we're not there yet, but we're easing our way into the holidays. And what we know is for so many people, the holidays can be very difficult. It can be a tough time. Uh, and so I'm so glad that you're here because uh, as we are in our series, Christmas at Valley, today's topic is something, whether you've been here for a day or you've been here for decades, there's something in today's message for every single person. Today we're actually talking about how to have a hope-filled Christmas. Uh, we all need hope more than ever because uh, everything around our country right now, it just seems to be so frustrating. There are, are so many like toxic environments, so many uh, people are depressed, they're hurting, there's so much discouragement, uh, anger, stress. I mean, people are divided and confused uh, in the workplace, in your neighborhood. Uh, things are out of control. And I'm telling you, without hope, we can find ourselves in, in very destructive behavior. Uh, hope is essential. It's, it's actually an essential fuel for life. Like we need hope. Hope keeps us going. Take a look at this picture. Look at this photo. Can you just see the hope in this photo? I mean, look at this young man. Look deep into his eyes. Look at the joy and, and how this young lady right beside him, they're just radiating happiness, right? This is, this is actually a video. Check this out. What happened, right? I mean, look at their faces now. I mean, people need hope. Uh, you know, th this is the face of a young man who's completely lost hope. And the girl he's with, it's actually his sister. And they are at a Toronto Maple Leaf game. The score, uh, it's like there's no return from where they're at at this point in the game. And they've just lost hope. When there's still hope, there's, there's something to fight for. When there's still hope, there can be joy inside of us because we are optimistic for a, a turnaround or for a better future. You know, my oldest son, he was uh, watching the Bears game with me last week. We're Chicago Bears fans, and, and uh, the Bears, like, we did the math. It wasn't hopeful, but, but my son, he, he was like, Dad, all they need are two touchdowns, the two-point conversion, and a field goal, and I think they can take the game. I'm like, there's only a minute left. <laughs> like, what is going on? Uh, and in his defense, you know, back in 2012, the New England Patriots, I think they scored, like, three touchdowns in 52 seconds. So, to him, there was still hope. To him, he was still fighting for a victory, for a win. Uh, the point is, when, when you and I, when we're rooting for somebody like the Bears, it doesn't seem like there's much hope, right? I mean, as a Bears fan, it's so true. Uh, but but when, when the game is close, or even, even when our team wins, it's sort of like this, this cotton candy moment, right? Uh, maybe we enjoy what's happening, but... But soon, whatever we're experiencing, it just kind of dissolves. Like we have this sugar rush and then a sugar crash. Uh, when, when our hope isn't real, when we have this cotton candy kind of a hope, it just doesn't last. You know, we, uh, we've been hit with all kinds of unusual pressure in, in the, the past months. Uh, you know, our country is hurting. The whole world is, is hurting. And the past two years haven't helped hopeless people regain some ground. They're not really looking to the future with more confidence. Instead, you know, we are situated and surrounded by fear, by anxiety. There is so much 
uh, depression and, and discouragement all around us. It's like positivity is way down and uh, negativity is just gaining ground. You know, the reason that so many people feel hopeless is because we find ourselves clinging to the things that Jesus came to replace. Have you ever thought about that? The things that so many people are holding on to are actually the things Jesus came to replace, like, like maybe a sports team, right? Uh, our hope shouldn't be in sports. It shouldn't be in our finances or our job. Maybe there's a sin in our lives and we're just clinching. We're just holding on to it. We find hope in, in it somehow, some way we've convinced ourselves. Maybe, maybe we're clinching on to our identity or, or maybe even a person, maybe a feeling. Some of you are clinching on to your bitterness. You know, it, it's hard for God to place hope inside of a clenched fist. Uh, if we could just like open up those clenched fists, God would be able to put something inside. And some of you are like, but some of those things are good. And I, and I would say this, if God puts that thing that you have been clenching back in your hand, that's great. And it's gonna feel so much better when it's him putting it in your hand than you just holding on to it for dear life. People who are following Jesus, we actually can be the most hope-filled people on planet Earth. Like, we get to live hope. We get to live this out. We get to live with hope. We get to just, like, enjoy and be optimistic and confident in the future that Jesus has for us. Uh, the church is the hope of the world. We, as the church, are the hope of the world because the hope of the world uh, is the truth of, of God. We are, we are truth bearers. Uh, we get to be extensions of the love of God. As followers of Jesus, there should be so much hope inside of us. You know, I want you to flip over to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at what is the most popular passage in all of Isaiah. Uh, and we're going to look at just the seven first verses of Isaiah chapter 9. And while you're flipping and clicking over there, maybe in your YouVersion Bible app or you got your Bible in front of you, grab a pen. We're going to take some notes here in a little bit. Let me just tell you, the prophet Isaiah has, has announced the Messiah's birth in chapter 7. He is delivering this prophecy of joy and excitement for the future. And, and then uh, later in verse 7 and in verse 8, Isaiah, he, he delivers another prophetic message of judgment to Judah, the people of God, as well as all the surrounding nations. This is a big deal. And, and through this judgment, we see God's power and, and a, a hope-filled future for those who are following God. Check this out. We're going to read this together. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land of east of Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. Like, I love this. The ESV, the English Standard Version, instead of hope, actually says glory. Just, I mean, imagine from gloom to glory. That's such great hope. Look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of the darkness. I mean, we are moving from darkness to light. Look at verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. I mean, we have moved from distressment to joy. Joy, increasing joy, rejoicing, rejoicing. Look at this. There's such hope here. Verse 4. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their shoulders, uh, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. I mean, this is, they're talking about this tiny army, the, the day of Midian. We're talking about this tiny army of Gideon uh, just defeating this huge army. 
And he's like, that's what's going to happen. We're going to move from oppression to freedom as that yoke is shattered. This is like such good news. And, and then in verse 5, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war, they will be burned as fuel for the fire. Coming is this day of peace. King Jesus is coming and he's going to usher in peace and we won't need the battle garments anymore. We are not going to need to fight because there is going to be such peace. What incredible, powerful language. I love this. What a picture of God's promise to ultimately defeat that oppressor. You know, the promise of what God will do is seen all through this. And, and then we look at verse 6 and we see who God is. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Like, like these are four character traits of the coming king, of this, this king child. Four names that reveal Christ's character. There, there are four amazing aspects of Jesus, the Messiah, that, that can fill us with a confidence and a hope for the future. You know, first Isaiah right here, he calls, he calls this, this coming child, the Christ child, he calls him wonderful counselor. This, this child, this king is going to lead with wisdom. Just write that down somewhere in your Bible or in your notes. He's going to lead with wisdom. That's what wise counselor means. I mean, we're not talking about a therapist here. We're talking about a great leader who is an advocate for us. You know, in high school, um, I really didn't excel in high school academically. And it's not because I wasn't smart. It's because I didn't apply myself. I wasn't super interested. I wasn't super motivated. And right in the middle of my senior year, uh, we had to meet with our guidance counselor to make sure we had all the credits that we needed and he's going to help us step into adulthood outside of the arms of our parents and our school. And uh, I remember sitting down with him as we're talking about this transition. And, and he said to me, uh, you know, Brandon, what do you want to do with your future? And I just kind of sat back in the chair and I said, I'm thinking about college. And, and my guidance counselor, he started laughing at me. He was like looking at my grades and he's like, I, I can't think of a school that would accept you with grades like this, with an ACT score like this. I, I didn't know much about the scores on ACT. I knew I had enough to get in somewhere, but I knew my grades weren't good. And, and he's telling me that, that this was a, a non-factor for me, that, that I shouldn't pursue college, that, that I actually should say yes to the first job offered to me. And, and I just remember feeling, you know, marginalized. I remember feeling frustrated and sad. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't a wise counselor to help me. He was actually uh, crushing me. And maybe he thought he was helping me, you know, take that job. Don't, don't waste thousands of dollars on college. Um, I eventually went to college. And uh, I, I don't know if I should be proud of this or not, but I doubled my GPA from high school and college. And I don't want to tell you that I got that high of a GPA, but maybe I'm telling you how low of a GPA I had in, in high school. I'll tell you this, though. The coming Messiah, the, the, the Messiah, the, the child that Isaiah is talking about, this king to come, he's going to be a wise ruler. He is going to rule with wisdom and be a wonderful counselor. Look at Romans 11, 33 and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgments and, and untraceable his ways. He is so smart. His wisdom is beyond what you and I could ever imagine. There is not a thing that you and I could teach this wise counselor. For, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has uh, been in his counsel? Who has, who has been his counselor? Not me. You know, the cool thing is, you know, the child that's to come that Isaiah is, is talking and sharing, uh, like, he's already all this. Like, he's not growing into this. He's not growing in wisdom. He, he's, he's like the wisest. So wise that none of us could offer any amount of wisdom that would put this counselor in our debt. God's wisdom and knowledge are, are beyond us. Uh, and if you know anything about Jesus, when, when we see Jesus uh, in his ministry, in the Gospels, I mean, he was constantly coming in contact with people who were trying to trap him, who asked him questions, and he always responded with tremendous discernment and wisdom. It's amazing to watch how Jesus interacts with people and, and how he, he just knew. He knew how to care for people. He knew how to love people. He knew how to answer those tough questions. He's amazing. He's going to be our ruler. He is our wonderful counselor. Isaiah also says that he's going to be a mighty God. And maybe there in the margin, you just talk about strength. You write the word strength right there. Because King Jesus will not only be wise, he will also show his strength. And I absolutely love the order here. Isaiah doesn't lead with power. Although Jesus has, you know, all the power any of us would ever want, more than we can imagine, Jesus has all of that, but he, he doesn't lead with brute strength. He leads with wisdom. But we're reminded of his power and his strength. The Old Testament has been constantly pointing to this coming Messiah who is going to defeat, because of his power, sin and death. That, that the, the coming Messiah will have victory uh, over the ruler of this world. And Jesus, in actually his last few hours of life, he's, he's just spending time with his closest disciples. He's encouraging them, he's equipping them, and he tells them that the battle's already been won. Like, we're going to keep fighting, times are going to be tough, but we get to be optimistic through the tough times because the battle has been won. The winner has been predetermined and Jesus wins. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. You and I, we get to be courageous because Jesus has already overcome the world. I love that. Jesus single-handedly does this on the cross. And, and by the way, the crucifixion, this what appears to be a, a defeat is a one-time opportunity because it's not going to happen again. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, he died once for all. His righteousness for the world's unrighteousness. For those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord. Like that's where salvation is. This was a one-time offering to, to reconcile a lost and hurting people to a perfect God. Like, you and I, we could never do that. You know, and when he comes back, uh, he's going to show his power. He's going to show his power and he's going to rule over this world for the purpose of peace. Look at John 3.35. I love this. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. What would you do if all things were in your hands? Look at, look at John 13, 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into His hands. Not only did the Father give it to Jesus, Jesus knew that He had everything in His hands. This is not something that you and I could ever handle. And when we look at Jesus, what did Jesus do with all that power? 
he served. He washed feet as he made his way to his crucifixion. He has all this power, and yet he still goes to the cross as a sacrifice, knowing that everything is in his hands. He does this to build reconciliation. The disciples, they got to live in a world where Jesus had already won, which means that that you and I, we are living in an era where Jesus has already won. He is mighty God. The third characteristic that Isaiah gives to us is eternal father. This one kind of trips some of us up. Like it's a little unusual to think of Jesus as father, but maybe in the margin, you just write the word caring. You know, Jesus, he, he is, he is a, a fatherly in his treatment of others. Jesus, he actually provides care like a loving father. This is not to be confused with the third person of the Trinity. Isaiah is not calling him God the Father. He is just saying you are reflecting this fatherly character. Like Jesus does that. Um, In John chapter 14 verses 8 and 9, Jesus was talking to one of his disciples. He was talking to Philip and, and Philip said, Lord, would you just show us the Father? Just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus responds by saying this, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus perfectly reflects the character of his heavenly Father. Jesus is consistently revealing the character of God. He is God. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus healing a paralyzed man. Check this out, Mark 2, 5. Jesus sees their faith, this, this paralytic, this paralyzed man, uh, as well as the friends that brought him there. And Jesus told the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. When, when someone enters into a relationship with Jesus, when someone's sins are forgiven, they're now part of the family of God. Uh, in, in John 14, 18 through 20, I love this. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. He's coming for us. I am coming to you. And in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Look at all of that fatherly language. Christ is constantly revealing the character of God. He constantly reveals God's fatherly character to us. And the last name that uh, Isaiah shares with us is Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, our, our sin, the sin that's in our lives, uh, it, it really stirs the anger of God. You know, what Jesus did on the cross satisfies the wrath of God for for those who are following Jesus. Jesus, he he justifies us. He he makes right what we have made wrong. He carries the load, a load that you and I, we just could never carry alone on our own. He provides peace. Jesus provides peace for us with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 16. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He's talking about Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles. We'll keep reading. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. Look at verse 16. He did this 
so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He wants to get rid of hostility. Jesus is our peace. The focus here is peace between these Jewish Christians and these Gentile believers. You know, Jesus provides a pathway for us to have peace with God, but he also wants us to have peace with one another. Peace with God's actually the foundation for us to have peace with, with others. You know, he's calling you and I to have peace, a peace that lasts in the relationships that we have. So I know some of you, you might be thinking, Brandon, I like to run from conflict and just can't, I just can't handle it. I, I, in relationships, when things get hard, I just want to get out of there. And I would say, it's actually time to fight. We would just want to, in those moments, fight for peace. We want to go after it. As some of you are saying, I just can't deal with it. And we just got to fight for peace. Uh, some of you are like, Brandon, you have no idea what he said to me. And in those moments, we fight for peace. Brandon, you have no idea what she did to me. I don't. But we fight for peace. Uh, we can never control other people, but we can always control ourselves. And, and Romans verse 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, fight for peace. When it's possible, as far as it depends on you, you and I, in the relationships that we have, we can control us. And in those moments, if it's possible, we want to fight for peace. God's calling us to fight for peace in our relationships. These names, I love this, these names reveal Jesus' character and, and, and they breathe inspiration and hope. You know, these are all characteristics of the king. And, and now Isaiah finishes off. He finishes this small section of scripture by showing us an optimistic, hope-filled future of the king's kingdom. Check this out. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Come on. The, the zeal of the, the Lord of armies will accomplish this. I, this is, I mean, Isaiah, he's not talking about an elected official. He's not talking about a two-year or a four-year term. He's not pointing to an unworthy child who became king because of the bloodline. Like Isaiah is sharing a joyful confidence that we get to have as followers of Jesus. Like the hope uh, of this forever kingdom led by a forever king who is a wonderful counselor, who is a mighty God, who is a, an eternal father and, and a prince of peace. Like what an incredible gift that God has given us. But you know what? We don't just, we just don't like receive gifts, right? We also give gifts. And as you and I enter into this Christmas season, we not only get to you know, like live with this hope, but we get to give hope. Uh, we're going to come in contact with, I mean, you, every day at work, in your neighborhood, you're going to enter into uh, some circles, maybe over the holidays with people that you haven't seen for a long time. And, and this is an opportunity. This Christmas, here's something to remember. The way people see you will affect the way they see Jesus. And this Christmas, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity to, that we get to give hope to people. And we get to give hope to, like, I think two types of people that would be, like, unique and surprising. We can give hope to those who would least expect it. Like, this surprising element of people who think they don't deserve hope. Like, we could be bearers of hope to them. Uh, maybe it would be surprising coming from you. Maybe 
it would be surprising coming from anybody. Maybe it's just unexpected because hope isn't living inside of them. Some people just don't think they're worth fill in the blank. So there's no hope. You know, not only that, that you show them hope, but, but you can show them that you have hope for them. We get to give hope to those who would least expect it. We also get to give hope to those who would least deserve it. Can you think of somebody who doesn't deserve hope? Because I'll tell you this, that's your story. And that's my story. It's not like any of us deserve what Jesus has done for us. In fact, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Like, we broke that relationship. Like, we produce sin so easily, so readily. And what we can earn is death. And we can't mend that relationship with our Heavenly Father without what Jesus has done on the cross. In fact, Romans 6.23 goes on to say that there's a gift of God that's eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Not through you, not through me, not through our good works. But the sin in our life can only be remedied through what Jesus has done. So when we think about giving the gift of hope, when we, when we think about sharing the hope that we have with others, we actually fall into this category. We definitely fell into this category. We just didn't deserve what Jesus had done for us. Wouldn't it be great to do something for somebody who doesn't deserve it? Especially since that's all of our stories. So, back to verse 6. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. By the way, let me just pause. This is a beautiful piece of scripture that shows the, the humanity of Jesus being born in the flesh and the deity of Jesus always existing as the Heavenly Father's Son that is now given to us. 100% man, 100% God. We call that the hypostatic union if you want to write down one of those $10,000 church words. But this is really important as we see Jesus is fully man and Jesus is fully God. And the government will be on his shoulders, meaning he will be the leader. He will be the king. He will be a wise counselor. He will be a mighty God. He will be an eternal father and a prince of peace. And when I say would be, I mean he is. Jesus can be wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and prince of peace for each and every one of you right now. In fact, when we look that a son will be given, like this just reminds me of what may be the most famous verse in all of scripture, John 3, 16, and we're going to add 17 to it. For God loved the world in this way. He gave as a gift. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. And I love this. We don't always add 17, but 17 is such a strong verse because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's first like desire is to see the world living an eternal hope, not to condemn us for what we've done wrong, but his first desire is reconciliation. The world thinks scripture and God is all about condemning our sin and he doesn't like our sin. He wants to condemn our sin, but his first desire is reconciliation. Jesus came to bring reconciliation to a hurting world. And so maybe some of you are thinking right now, I'm ready. I'm ready to make Jesus my wonderful counselor, my mighty God, my, my eternal father, my prince of peace. Jesus came to die for you so that you could have reconciliation and relationship with God. You see, Jesus lived this perfect life 
He died a sacrificial death. Uh, and he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And I would encourage you, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, if you're ready to be an owner of this hope, to have optimism in the future for the King who is coming, I would encourage you to just to pray these three things. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And you commit your life. If you're ready to pray that, I would just pray this right now. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus. I am a sinner. And I need Jesus to make me right with you. I believe in the resurrection. And right now I commit my life to you. I know that's not a promise of an easy life, but it is a promise of an eternal life with you. So God, thank you. Put people in my life to encourage me, to sharpen me, to grow me. Help me be more like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. If you made that uh, decision today, I, can I just ask you, uh, would you just send an email to Valley Church? We have an email address, pray at valley.church. And we just want to celebrate with you. We want to know and, and partner with you as your church. I know you know this, but Christmas is right around the corner. And one of the reasons that we have so many Christmas Eve gatherings is because we want to make sure that there's room for you. But we also want to make sure that there's room for our community and for you to bring somebody. A mentor of mine said, as, you know, as you're looking for people to encourage, people who, who uh, don't expect this hope, that, that feel like they don't deserve it, he said, you know, try to identify uh, three knots. There are three kind of categories of, of knots. And the first one is look for people who have things that are not going well. Uh, when, when things are not going well in life and you can saddle up beside them to encourage them and love them, nobody is probably more willing to come and hear about Jesus than when they're feeling a little hopeless. Uh, and you and I, we get to carry that and we get to give that. Um, here's another one. Look for people who are not going to church. Uh, like if somebody's going to church somewhere else and they're, they're hearing about Jesus and it's a, a Bible preaching church, like let them go. Don't steal them from other churches. Find somebody who, who things aren't going well in life and, and find somebody who is just not going to church anywhere. And, and the third one, something happened in their life and they were just not prepared for it. You and I get to be bearers of hope. Like we have these hope-filled lives and these are like three opportunities for us to step into somebody's life, to offer them hope. A hope that you and I have a confident hope in the future that you and I have in the person of Jesus. So Christmas is coming and I would encourage you to start praying because I can't think of a better thing to do this Christmas with our time than invite someone who might be straddling the line of hope to a Christmas Eve service where we're going to hear about the hope of the world. So love you guys. I hope you have a great week and uh, can't wait to see you this Christmas Eve.